0: Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to read to you from Acts 16, verse 20 to 25 to 30. I'm um, going to spend a bit of time in this interesting situation that happened for Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all, not that language, all, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The title of this idea, this talk that I'm going to do with you today, and by the way, I work very hard on my titles so that when you leave here today, go home, or Tuesday morning this week when someone says to you, did you go to church on Sunday? And you say yes. And they say, was it good? And you say yes. And they say, what did the speaker talk about? You get to stay, instead of saying, I think he talked about faith, I think she talked about prayer, which is why people think, "Mm, I'm glad I wasn't there. You'd be able to say, we had a guy spoke about something called collateral grace. Even the word collateral is impressive for you to use this week. Everybody say collateral. Collateral. And again, beautiful word. But that's the most you've ever said it in your life. You said it twice in a day. Woohoo! Because this is not a mainstream word at all. And I think when we, when we teach about things or when we study things that are not part of our mainstream life, it's good for you to hear yourself saying that word to get you on the same page with me in the next 25 minutes. It'll help you do that a wee bit. Collateral grace. Collateral, you only hear that word used in front of the word damage. Normally, collateral is used to describe um, the damage that happens when, when in war people get hit by a bomb drop on a missile strike, and they were hit because they were in the vicinity. They weren't intended to be hit. They were not combatants. They were not military people, civilians, and so on. And they call what happens to them collateral damage. So collateral is normally associated with bad things, but it itself is a neutral word. Collateral just means a widespread. It means that many people are touched. It means that the circle is large. It means that Everyone is included. Collateral is a good word. And it struck me that what happened in this prison cell was a a supernatural act of collateral divine intervention. Because when God hit this prison with a localized earthquake that was triggered, that was initiated by singing from only one cell, every cell got in on the blessing of the singing in one cell. Everybody's chains came off, not just the guys that were earning it, Not just the two believers in there that were praying and singing hymns. The rest were listening. What else do you do in prison at night? Because these were proper prisons, by the way. This wasn't, you know, carpets and snooker tables and cable TV prison. This was the real deal. So what else would you do? And by the way, Paul and Silas, while they were singing hymns at midnight, their backs must have been ripped open with the beating they received prior to this. So, this was proper full on sacrificial singing and sacrificial praying. And so the prisoners are listening. So, God decides to get involved and sends a localized earthquake just to that prison cell. And everybody got in on what these two guys pulled down, if you like, from heaven. Everybody got in on it. What God didn't do is go through the prison system saying, Well, I'm going I'm to do something here tonight, but I'm not going to include those guys in cell number 10 because they're drug dealers. I'm not gonna include the people in cell number 14 because they're burglars or because they are human traffickers or because they are whatever. God didn't decide, okay, some people in here really shouldn't be loose. So I'm gonna keep their prisons closed and I'm gonna go through the prison and select who should be involved in chains coming off and doors opening. He didn't do that. It just went wall to wall across all the prison system And it struck me that what God did here could legitimately be called collateral. Everybody was hit in what took place, though not everybody was aware of it or knew where it came from or what happened. No one had ever heard of, no one had ever seen, however hardened these criminals were, however many prisons they'd been in, they'd never seen a prison where chains fell off and doors flew open by some unseen force. This is a supernatural miracle and God included everyone because that I want you to understand is God's nature. It is the nature of love and grace and kindness and mercy and forgiveness to be collateral. And I'm reintroducing you, if that's what I'm doing today, I'm reminding you, because our church forgot this about 17 years in to my 30 odd years pastoring, about 17 years in, I think I have language for this now, retrospectively, I didn't have at the time, because in leadership one of the greatest frustrations of leadership, and of life, I think, is that often the language to explain what happened doesn't come till later. That's the frustrating thing with destiny. Destiny cannot be understood now, or looking forward. Destiny only comes clear with hindsight, which is a bummer, really. Um, And I... I realized looking back that our church got stuck in understanding the nature of grace. I think when you use words a lot, like we do in the church and in our Christian life, like love and kindness and grace and mercy and forgiveness and joy and peace, I think we think that we know what those words mean because we use them a lot. Right. But when you understand the nature of a word, or the nature of a person. You ever heard someone gossiping to you about someone, and you find a way to say to them, "I'm sorry. I know they're not here, but I know I know Sue would never ever say that." And what you're appealing to in defending Sue, who is absent and can't defend herself, is that you know it's not in her nature to have done or said what they're saying she did not said. I was walking one of my grandkids recently. And uh, my grandkids all want dogs, but I've advised their parents it's a bad idea um, because they want a dog, and about six months in, it's your dog. Okay, I said, if you want want the kids to have a dog, um, make them pick up dog crap for about six months. Then say, do you want that for 15 years? That might fix it. Anyway, we have other ways of shock treatment for them, but that's one idea. In case you've got a kid wanting a dog in here. Um, And my granddaughter was going to stroke a dog and I wasn't sure whether it would bite or not So I said to the owner before I let go of her hand Does your dog bite? And he said to me, it's not in its nature I thought, every dog that ever bit me, the owner told me that by the way Um, But he appealed to the dog's nature in an instantaneous exchange In seconds before my granddaughter touched the dog He appealed to its nature, I'm appealing to the nature grace today I'm bringing you back to an awareness or I'm giving you a first-time awareness that grace is collateral in nature that the cross of Jesus Christ was not for the church the cross was for humanity we've made it about us and we've almost become cross cops and grace cops and forgiveness cops as if we get to decide who is worthy I've been included in passing that on. But love and grace and kindness are not gifts. They are batons that you see in a relay relay race. If you don't pass on the baton, as you know, everybody is disqualified. But in the church, we've found a way for generations now to turn that baton into a gift. And whenever you warehouse love, Whenever you warehouse grace, whenever you warehouse mercy and kindness and hang on to it, which is what happened with the story, the parable of the unmerciful servant who himself was forgiven a huge debt, but then put in the debtor's prison someone that owed him far less. And he says the master was outraged. If you want to make God mad, all you need to do is not pass on his kindness to you. If you want to see God mad, not a lot of stuff makes God mad. But we're told in that parable, the master was outraged that those who had received kindness did not pass it on to someone else. What I described to you there, by the way, is a generic problem in the church around the world, but we don't know it is because we are loving and gracious and kind to each other. And when you're in a church bubble, like I was for 30 years, when you're in a church bubble... You're in a scenario that becomes like an echo chamber in your life, like social media is. Social media tracks everything that you do, and it sends you stuff that it knows you're interested in, and you don't know how it knows you looked at those sneakers yesterday. Now you just find pop-up adverts because it, it knows that you looked at something. Now it thinks you want to buy that. So it bombards you with subtle stuff in your timeline, in your social media, in your Amazon search because you dared to stop and glance at it. So social media becomes an echo chamber. You start looking at what you looked at earlier and now all the voices, all the emphasis around the world about what you show interest in starts to find you. This is what happens in a church world or a political party or a corporate organization or a team. We spend so much time inside that organization that we develop massive blind spots, which our church did 17 years in. There's no bad people in this. There's no bad hearts in anything I'm describing to you. It is part and parcel of kinds of organizations like us where we deal in the stuff to do with forgiveness and grace and mercy, and second chances, and new beginnings, because collateral grace, by its nature, is not careful. Collateral grace is reckless and careless, otherwise you couldn't call it collateral. Collateral grace, collateral love, collateral kindness does not try to find someone to be kind to. It can't help itself. But when God flings his love and grace towards people you don't approve of, by the way, you were once a person no one approved of. There are people in your minds this morning that you wish were sat in some of these empty seats. There's people that are not here this morning that you wish were here. Perhaps one of the reasons they're not here, or one of the reasons you didn't used to be here, is because you just weren't comfortable with the idea that a church would welcome you. That you would be acceptable here, because it's trendy now around the world to say, come as you are. What we really mean, though, is come as we are. Because God help you if you come into this church venue or any church venue uh, generally these days, and you're not the type of person who already goes to that church. God help you if you walk in and you're homosexual. Or you walk in and you're black, if the church is mainly white. Or you walk in and you are homeless, or you're down and out. Or something about you looks like you don't really fit in around here. Or your behavior is a bit random. Or you are a naughty person. Or you are a kind of, um, just come as you are, so you do. And our church started... You know, reaching people to whom we said that, and then they came and tested, and we realized that we meant, hmm, I wish you wouldn't come as you are. I wish you'd come as we are. And our we are is this, 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 and this. Can you behave yourself next time? But they did not. And I started reaching the poor in our city in the late 90s because our church was white middle-class people. And white middle-class people need Christ like anyone else, but they're not the only people in town. But to look at our church, you'd think they were. So I started reaching into the poor parts of our community, bringing in people from the worst council estates, we call them, in our country. And I was busting in 500 a week. I know. And scoundrels was my corporate name for them, because that's what they were. I said, you scoundrels? You're causing me so much trouble. Because they were. And they were coming and they were dropping the F-bomb everywhere. I don't mean faith. (laughs) that's how they talk. They were doing drugs in the car park and smoking cigarettes, God forbid, in the car park. The drama I had over people smoking cigarettes, and I'm like, okay, this tells me how, how much of a reality check our church needs. That I would get so many letters and conversations about people smoking in the car park, smoking in the building, um, and I thought, hmm, I don't think smoking would kill our church as quick as that gossip would kill our church. But no one says anything about the gossip, but we go nuts about the smoking. I thought, hmm, I think this is telling me something. These people, you know, these, when people come in, non-religious, non-church people come into our churches, God uses them like religious sniffer dogs. Do you think you have nothing to declare, nothing here for the dog to sit down next to? And they park up in our churches and smell religion everywhere when we think we're immune to it. And what happens is when people come that need grace, that are outside of our circle of relationship, that are beyond our social grouping, or beyond the kind of people we think we feel comfortable with, when grace is thrown in their direction, often Christians can get a bit offended by it because God is inclusive of people that you are hesitant to include. And when God includes them, he's letting you know, I couldn't care less who you think is worthy. This is what happened in the early church, because in the early church, people called Judaizers went around the Gentile churches, teaching in the Gentile churches, you can't be a proper believer until you do some Jewish stuff. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to keep certain rituals. You've got to observe certain special feasts and days. When you do that stuff, you're really a bona fide one of us. Of course, we don't have to do any of that because we're Jews already. And they were laying on these layers of expectation. They were creating hoops to jump through because they felt they they had some kind of inside track with God by being Jews. And if you get in as easy as we got in, then it makes us feel less special. And every church in the world, I think, has its own version of what I just described. Well, we think we're the grace cops. We think we get to decide who is isn't who isn't worthy of having grace and love and kindness flung in their direction. And God's grace, by definition, is collateral. If you warehouse it and keep it, it starts to smell and goes off. And some churches stink. And they're good people and they love God, but there's something about it that feels off. It feels like an inward looking um, club uh, for overfed, under exercised Christians (laughs) that sing sing every week about doing stuff they have no intention of doing. And we sing about reaching the world and we preach about reaching the world. You shout amen, but really it's armchair amening. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.